It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Tuesday, September 1st, the Before Bullying Begins edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose, and I'm the mom to three littles, Henry 8, Oliver 6, and Teddy 3, and I'm currently located in Navarre, Florida. I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is seven, and we live in Los Angeles, California. On today's show, we'll be talking about how to prepare your kids to respond if bullying occurs and to avoid becoming bullies themselves with the great Emily Bazelon. But before we get to that, we have triumphs and fails. Jamila, do you have a triumph or fail for us today? I have a historical triumph that relates to bullying. I feel like I might have told the story on the show before, but I feel like I might have told it on like the regular show a long time ago. So I'll tell it again because it's a good one. It's my classic bullying story. So when I was in first grade, there was a third grader by the name of John Pitts. And we rode the same school bus. Our school bus was often late for whatever reason. I think maybe the driver had another route before he picked us up. And so we'd have to oftentimes like wait in the lunchroom for our bus route to be taken home. It was a big school. It was like 2,000 kids. or It was like five homerooms in each grade or whatever. So it was like a first, eighth grade. So it was a pretty big school. I traveled outside of my neighborhood for school. And so the bus was a big deal. A couple other boys gave me a little bit of trouble too, but John was the main actor. And somehow, you know, he'd found out that I was afraid of worms. And at first grade, I would like, Naima makes fun of me for this because she's mean. She's like, I can't believe you're afraid of, like of all the things to be afraid of. Like, I was afraid of worms, you know? So if it rained, you know, and they'd be on the ground, I'd be freaked out. I'd scream. It was like a thing. And so John knew that I was afraid of worms. So this particular day, we were waiting for the bus to come get us. You know, school got out at one thirty, so it's probably like 2 o'clock. We're sitting around. And John, he, he walks up to me, and he puts a worm in my face. And so, you know, he's like w- wiggling it in front of me, and I realize it's a gummy worm. And so finally, I have the upper hand over John Pitts, finally. So I'm like, this is a gummy worm. I take it and I eat it. Just ha-ha. And so he's like, I found that on the floor. Drat. He's got me again. I sit in the lunchroom stewing with anger. You know, my little six-year-old fist probably all balled up. And I don't, you know, I'm just so tired of this dude. And he was also like the principal's godson. So like he never really seemed to get in any real trouble. And so I just couldn't take it anymore. So I walk up to John and while he's seated and I smacked him in the face. (laughs) My little tiny six-year-old <laughs> hand. Who has the upper hand now? Who has the upper hand now? Right? I walked up to this person. Like, I to this day, I like the unmitigated, like, I guess maybe that was a flash of who I would be. Like, not that I've, you know, I've never been in a fight. I don't typically hit people. But, like, I guess the confidence it took to even have that bad idea, like, this will solve it, you know? But, like, or just to get, to allow myself to get to that level of rage, because it wasn't in the middle of an encounter, you know? Like, we, he was on one side of the room, I was on the other. I could have just stayed away. And I was like, no, you, today you pay for this. And so I smacked him in the face, and he looked at me for a second, 
And he reached back and he slapped fire out of my mouth. Like he slapped me so hard. And, you know, he was in third grade. He was bigger than me. He wasn't a big kid. I wasn't a tiny kid, but like there was a a clear size difference. I had a handprint on my face. Like even when I came home, you know, like I also bruised very easily. And so I just remember the assistant principal taking me to the the first time I got to see the teacher's bathroom. That's where I got cleaned up, you know, because I'm sure I was crying and my face was all red and stuff. So there was a conference. Nothing ever really came of it. But I don't think he gave me as much trouble after that. So I think my mom made it pretty clear that she was going to raise hell if he continued. And they definitely had tried the whole he likes her thing. And so I guess that's my triumph of sorts is that I rose above my bully to defend myself. In the strangest way possible for a shy six-year-old girl. I am also going to tell a bullying story by a boy very similar. Mm-hmm. That I was not, like, you rose up and I just, like, quietly took it and, like, festered about it. So I had a, I went to, like, a Catholic grade school and I, you know, who knows how we were sitting. But this boy would, like, I remember, he cut my water bottle once. He cut the straw off my water bottle. We didn't have air conditioning. It was Georgia. Ugh. Like, it got really hot. We had to have these, like, these special water bottles. And he cut the straw. Like, he would just do stuff like this all the time. Take my pencils, take my stuff. Just, I mean, that's, like, terror. you know. Yeah. <laughs> feels terrible. But it ended, somehow, I, I honestly do not know the situation. But it ended because, at some point, he actually, like, dropped a chair on me. Oh my God. I'm unsure what happened, but I know I was hit in the head with a chair and ended up going to the principal's office and my parents were called and all of this stuff. And at the end of the day, that is what they said to me was like, oh, well, this boy must like you. And I'm thinking, I just got hit with a chair. So I, I think eventually he was like removed from my classroom or whatever. But, you know, I feel like I mentioned it to my, you know, my parents or someone like, oh, my water bottle got cut. Oh, this. But I mean, I probably should have smacked him. That would have Elizabeth now definitely would probably smack him. But I wish I had more clarity on how I was hit with the chair. But um, yeah, yeah, chair to the back of the head. And that's what finally, you know, did something about it. And I think I'm just so when I look back, I'm like so outraged that this whole thing built up under this like, oh, well, boys, you know. That's probably, now I've been blessed with three boys to make sure they don't ever, ever do that <laughs> to no. anyone. Even the virus will not be throwing a desk on a kid's Yeah, face. yeah, no, no. If I mean, if he cut anyone's water bottle or anything. But I think this kid was, like, doing the hair pulling. Like, all your kind of typical, you know, stuff that just got washed. Like, oh, well, boys. Mm-hmm. But did you have any, ever have problems with, like, me? I was thinking, like, because the stereotypical is, like, mean girls. Mm-hmm. And I just never... I remember there being mean girls in school, particularly in my grade school. There was like a group and I definitely was not part of that like cool mean girl group, but I was sort of like unfazed by them. (laughs) Yeah. Like I always kind of managed to to be on the periphery. Like I was never part of like the in-group, in-group, but I was also typically cool with, you know, like the ones in my class. And if like, you know, like we might be friends, you know, and, and, even like the most popular, I wouldn't say that the most popular kids were necessarily like the meanest, you know, like there were definitely, they had some latitude to kind of make jokes about people and say things that other folks yeah. might have been held accountable for. But like, yeah, the mean girl thing, like I remember it more clearly in high school, you know, and having some moments. And it also seemed like when you got older, anybody could switch up and be the mean person, you know? So yeah. it wasn't necessarily yeah. like that these are always the bullies. Like it could, you know, that out of nowhere, this person, you know, has said or done this thing. I had occasional issues with girls, but I also was so like, I 
really wanted to be liked. I wasn't like a full out people pleaser, but I like on one hand, people always kind of know Jamila does her own thing. She's a little, you know, quirky. But at the same time, like I did not want to rock the boat. I tended to, you know, I think when I was little, be very non-confrontational. That's why like the John, like that story is such a big deal for me because people hear that now and like, oh, that sounds on brand. I'm like, no, not bad. That was then. like the first, the first that was moment. it. Yeah, that was the inciting incident. It's like my origin story, you know, like because yeah. <laughs> I, I just was not that. Like everybody was really yeah. shocked by that. I was fortunate. I'll say like, there wasn't anything particularly unique about how I looked or, or, you know, there was nothing that made me a target. And I was typically kind to people. I'm aware of bullying. I remember who was bullied. You know, I remember that there were people who were collectively bullied. It seemed by like by more people than not, you know, like it almost was the, like it was okay. It was socially acceptable to make fun of the person who had had an accident, you know, and peed on themselves and like say maybe third grade, you know, at a point in which that wasn't a thing that was happening too much anymore. Or, you know, there was a girl who was heavy set and dark complexioned who she had some quirky behaviors too that didn't help. But like, basically she was treated poorly because of the way she looked, you know, there were a few kids who, who had issues like that. And I was never the one, like I was always the one who was inclined to be nice, you know, like, no, I'm the same way. Like, I almost feel like I have a compulsion to try to befriend the yeah. underdog a lot of times mm-hmm. and can remember definitely befriending people who we had a girl in our grade school that suffered from seizures all mm-hmm. the time. And so she, again, like easy target, you know, and I invited her over to have us spend the night. And of course, she can't do that because she has seizures, but I was able to go to her house, like all of these, yeah. these things. And I remember that one of the girls kept, she would just call me Melissa instead of Elizabeth. And Mm -hmm. I think back and I was like, maybe that was an attempt to bully. But I don't know if I was just like too naive or just felt like I have my couple. I had a couple very close friends and same in high school, like was friends with a lot of people, but have a couple very close friends Mm -hmm. and just felt like, well, if these people like me, like I just, when I think back to this girl calling me Melissa, I think like, it's not a big deal. We like, why did she do that? <laughs> yeah. like, it didn't affect me at all. But I think it was a way to just be dismissive. Yeah. I will say one thing that if I, you know, obviously there's so much you do over again, if you could do childhood with the perspective of an adult. Right. But I, I think that, you know, one thing I really am trying to teach Naima is that it's not just good enough to be kind to everyone, that you have to be an interrupter. Like it, it's not acceptable that, you know, there's somebody in the class that everyone feels comfortable treating poorly, you know, especially if this is, you know, with the rare exception being if this person is just a really mean kid, you know, and even right, with that, yes, there's, yes. there's, you know, some sort of intervention necessary, but that, you know, not just normalizing like being nice to that girl or that guy and like having lunch with them so that other people say like oh well Naima talks to them you know maybe you know she's cool maybe she's nice but like telling people like dude like why are you talking about her like that if you don't like her clothes then you don't like her clothes but she you know like we're we're not going to make somebody feel small or less than because they're different or you know for any number of reasons and there are just also so many things that make kids vulnerable to bullying yeah you know, like so many different, like, it's not just simply, oh, this kid behaves this way. So they're going to get, you know, sometimes it's because someone in the class thinks you're really pretty, you know, a a girl thinks you're really pretty. And so she's targeting you about the competition. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, since we move around so much, it's something I definitely feel the need to like guard my kids against, because I feel like that makes you a target, like we're new a lot. And so we don't always have like that collective group, but I agree with you. Like the focus now, 
even in just like the stuff you read that's out there. I feel like when we were young, the focus was like, if we were talking about bullying at all, it was like, walk away. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just like, don't be part of it. And now so much more is like, not only like one, you can stand up for yourself, but two, I expect you to stand up for other people and to, to take this action. And, you know, I hope that that also just like cuts down on the book, you know, if we're educating kids, not only just don't be part of it, but also stand up against it, you know, hopefully these strong voices can rise to the top in these very extreme situations, you know? One thing I've told Naima is like, it's only okay to bully bullies. Like if you want to, you know what I mean? Like you shouldn't be (laughs) saying something mean to somebody unless they've said something mean to you or to someone else. Like if you want to, you know, make them feel small or silly, not about like, well, look at your shoes or look at your teeth. It's like what you're doing is whack. What you're doing. This is corny. Bullying is whack. You're lame. An on topic clap back. Yeah. Yes. Like, you are a loser for doing this. I hope you know. Right. Yeah, this behavior. Like, nobody likes this. Nobody (laughs) nobody likes this. Well, this is all very on topic because we're going to be talking about bullying. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's move on to today's listener question. It's being read by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad, I'm worried that my nine-year-old could be an easy target for bullies. He's extremely sweet, smart, and relatively quiet, and very cute. And I'm not just saying this because I'm his mama. But he's really well-behaved, and an unintentional teacher's pet. He typically gets along fine with his female classmates, but other boys tend to give him a hard time. Nothing too serious thus far, but he's always been hesitant to tell on classmates when they bother him, and now that they're at that weird tween stage, especially. I'm terrified of what he may be up against this year, either as a potential victim of bullying or even as someone who is compelled to be silent when others are bullied in order to fit in. On top of it, school is online for now, which may open a whole new avenue for potential bullying. How do we get out in front of this potential problem? Thank you. Here with us is Emily Bazelon. She is a staff writer at the New York Times Magazine, co-host of Slate's Political Gab Fest, and reported on bullying for the book she wrote called Sticks and Stones. Welcome, Emily. Hey, Emily. Thank you, Elizabeth, and hey, Jamila. So since Jamila and I still have young kids and maybe some, some personal thoughts about bullying, but I'm hoping you can lead off with some good advice about what this mom can do. My first question when parents ask questions about bullying is to try to unpack whether what they think their kid is experiencing really amounts to bullying. And what I mean by that is that kids are sometimes aggressive with each other and tease each other and can be obnoxious. But I think that that kind of behavior only rises to the level of bullying when it involves a real power imbalance among the kids. Hmm. And and it is mostly serious in the eyes of kids themselves, is what we know from the research, that it, it mostly is serious and can be really potentially harmful if it's repeated over time and becomes a pattern. 
And so sometimes I worry that in our world in which we're doing a lot of protecting of kids for good reasons, but also sometimes for our own comfort, that we as parents can overreact and assume that something is bullying when really it's just like something that kids can actually deal with themselves and show resilience over. And, you know, kids need some level of adversity in their lives in order to grow. Now, that is like a funny thing to say during COVID times, because I feel like kids have more adversity in their lives than I would ever wish for them. So anyway, I just want to make that clear. And it may be that this child is, in fact, really being bullied. But I do just think that parents should be a little careful. One of the things we also know from the research is that often when adults try to intervene to stop bullying, kids tell us that they actually make it worse. Now, obviously, they don't do that on purpose, but the social relations among people, children, any group are like kind of delicate and fragile. And when you come in as a grown up, you can sometimes kind of bigfoot the kids in a way that causes quite a bit of trouble. So I think my first response to this mom, which might be really not what she wants to hear, is to try to ask questions to see what her child is really experiencing and to not overreact, to not anticipate that he's in more trouble than he's really in. So I love that. And kind of came down there myself on this because my child is I have a child that's very similar in that like Oliver is just kind of like tender hearted like loves the color pink like just I I just sometimes think he's like a walking target like he carries around this giant puppy like it's it's just he's an easy target for the other boys but instead of focusing necessarily on like protecting him I feel like what I've done is try to empower him with his choices and with what he's doing and know that he has the right to say no and I have no idea if that's the right path like we have been lucky enough not to encounter like real bullying like you said like we've encountered some some little stuff but like when he wanted pink shoes I was like well listen this is something people might say these kind of things to you about like pre-bullied him you know like people might say pink is not a boy's color people might say this stuff like are you prepared to deal with that and what did you say about the pink shoes well he said I love pink and I want to wear pink shoes and I said that's great and I am so happy to buy you these pink shoes and I think you look great in pink but I also want you to know that people might say this and you know I said what would you say and he said well I would tell them that pink's my favorite color and if they don't like that then they don't have to be my friend and I'm sort of like okay cool But instead of like approaching it that way, like that's just uh, approaching it as like a problem. I've tried to just guard my kids up against it. I don't know. Jamila, what are, (laughs) what are you doing with Naima? Yeah, no, we've definitely talked about like, I mean, just bullying in general and my expectations of her. I would be incredibly disappointed if I found out that there was a classmate or, or, you know, someone that she knows who's being treated poorly by other kids that she didn't speak up on their behalf if she was empowered to do so. And if she wasn't in a position where she could be helpful and stand up against the bullies that, you know, she didn't provide support to that kid in some other way or, you know, if necessary. And we talk about, you know, tattletailing is a controversial, complicated matter for kids. But there are times in which, you know, the right thing to do is to let another adult know what's going on with one of your friends. And we've talked about how she feels when, you know, that we've talked about time, like once she referred to herself as the time I got bullied, 
because uh, she'd had a physical altercation with some of her friends. I'm like, well, that wasn't quite, bu-. you know, that was a, that was a bad incident. Bullying is this more ongoing thing. You know, these are kids who typically played with you, who treated you really poorly, you know, in this instance, and it wasn't okay. But, you know, for somebody who's experiencing bullying, that might be what they deal with every day that they come to school, you know, every time they go past a particular neighbor's house. She also has a younger brother, which on some level has given her a sense of, you know, she has somebody to look after and to protect, you know, her little brother at one point when they were in daycare, he started wearing nail polish. He still does it from time to time. And I appreciate it. I didn't, I don't think her dad and I ever really had a long conversation about it. Like I briefly talked about her stepmom, but I did notice like one time that like her dad had some on his thumbs too, you know, and I know that that was his way of just, you know, doing it along with his son, which I thought was really cool. But one of the kids at school had said something to him about like boys not wearing nail polish. And so I gave Naima some clapbacks. I was like, okay, so here's what we say, you know, and essentially it was a polite grade school, you know, taunting version of worry about your own little raggedy fingers you know, yeah. uh, he can do what he wants. But um, so Naima is like somewhere in the middle. Like there are parts about her I could see as being vulnerable because she's incredibly, she's very sweet. She's very loving. She's very trusting. You know, everybody's her best friend until they're not, you know, like she'll talk about a kid she played with two years ago and say, remember my best friend so-and-so. So there's a part of me that's like, you're so sweet. You're so innocent in so many ways. Like I see the vulnerability and there are other ways in which, you know, she's got a big personality and she's outspoken and, and kids tend to gravitate toward her. But she's also got the, you know, there's some girl stuff that happens. Like my bullies were boys, you know, and she's a cute girl and she gets attention from boys already. So I'm a little fearful of, you know, especially because so often that type of bullying is explained away as he likes you. He thinks you're cute, you know, and it's made to be acceptable. But thinking about the letter writer, Emily, I'm curious. So let's just say the seat that the parent is correct in their concerns. And now if this child already has the teacher's pet reputation or hasn't forged some of those relationships with his classmates that could protect him from bullying on some level. What are some things that his mother can be mindful of and paying attention to to ensure that while this distance learning thing is going on, he's not susceptible to, you know, private messages or if there's some sort of social app that they're using to communicate with one another? It feels like this is the place where he's probably going to be a lot less vulnerable as opposed to, you know, um, especially when you get a little bit older and the cyberbullying stuff becomes a far more common occurrence. But I guess what what would you say to her concerns with specific regard to the fact that this class is going to be taking place virtually? I can't really tell how remote learning is going to work because it was in my city, at least, so done so badly in the spring, it like barely happened and wasn't live online at all. I guess my own concern about kids and their social lives this fall is much more that kids are not going to have enough opportunities to interact with each other because they've been removed from each other's lives. So I guess I wouldn't be too worried. I would certainly not limit my kids' interactions with other kids at school. And I think that you know, in some ways, the coronavirus has broken the kids up into small groups much more, which I think has some really negative um, effects because kids need to learn to get along with and deal with lots of different people. On the other hand, if you have a kid who's being bullied, I think it can be liberating, actually, to be separated from peers who are not nice and not easy to deal with. So maybe there's some kind of refuge in in that. Do you have any advice on, like, how to know 
when to get involved. Like you talked about the importance of kind of letting the kids work it out, which I totally agree with, but like we've clearly see cases in which an adult should have intervened. And I wonder like, how do we, can you help parents maybe know when that or give some ideas of how to know when that moment is? So what I love about the stories that each of you told is how much you were checking in with your kids and letting your kids lead. And yeah, giving them clapbacks, giving them advice, trying to fortify them, but also trying to really listen to them and what they're telling you. I think adults go wrong the most when they make a lot of assumptions about what kids are experiencing without really listening. And I like a lot, Jamila, that your daughter said she was being bullied and you were like, well, let's make a distinction about what you actually just experienced and whether that's the right word to use for this because you were really hearing what her friends or frenemies were doing Mm -hmm. right instead of just like kind of glossing over it and so I actually think the main thing is to just have these really solid channels of communication with your child now I realize in saying that that it just doesn't always work that way like my kids certainly don't always want to talk to me and sometimes kids have experiences that they hide from adults and that's the really tricky part of being a parent you can't control everything sometimes you're not going to know everything even that you should know and so you really have to just build as solid a foundation as you can try to make sure you're instilling the values in your kid that you want them to have and that you're trying to make them resilient and strong but also accept that there are just like limits to what you can do sometimes. Yeah, I think this topic feels so big because we've seen so many like consequences of bullying that lead to self-harm and to suicide or to feeling not worth. And so it, you know, it feels like as a parent, this huge burden, even though we know like, like, these little things are happening all the time, like you said, and that that every incident is not this incident. Yeah, I mean, what's hard about it is you can't always tell what's going to lead to what. But to take a step back, it's very unusual for bullying to lead to serious self-harm. And the idea that there's any kind of real link between bullying and suicide, at least like a statistical link, is really in question. Not to say that it's never happened, but it's not a common occurrence. And so I think as a parent, you're always having to balance the reality that children need to take some knocks along the way and you can't protect them from everything with the very unlikely but like terrible harm that obviously you want to do everything to prevent and like that's hard and I feel like it's almost impossible to actually tell people how to get it right because it's like a matter of the relationship and the kind of feel you have for your child and their well-being every day. That's like a great note, I think, to end the conversation on to say, like, it's all going to be okay. And I think you've given great advice in terms of like, building your children up and guarding them against it, because they're the person that you have the effect on, you know, they're the person that can affect change. Right. And to a certain degree, if your kid has good relationships with other people and has friends, if that's something they're capable of, that's going to help fortify them the most, right? You care less about the kid who's being mean to you if they're other kids who you are connected with. I would just hope that the letter writer continues to check in with their kid and talking about like social skills are a thing that have to be taught, right? It's a lot of it is observation. A lot of it's just simply being in a school environment or watching TV and watching how other children interact with each other. But, you know, talking to your kid and saying, if none of the other kids did their homework 
and you did yours and, you know, you hear everybody saying, I hope the teacher doesn't ask if we did our homework. If you stick your hand up and say you forgot to collect the homework, you should be prepared for people not to feel great about that. And you have every right to be proud of the fact that you complete, you know, you worked hard. I understand. But, you know, you're, you're at school for multiple reasons. You're there to learn. You're also there to build relationships with other children and to have friends. So how do you navigate that line between making bad decisions where you're being, you know, delinquent with your schoolwork or you're, you know, doing the wrong thing in order to obtain social approval from your peers versus not making yourself a target in ways that you don't have to because you're not interacting well with your, you're not being kind and gentle and thoughtful to them. You know, because some bullying, and this is not victim blaming, but that some of it does start from a, a place where someone, you know, being socially inept in some way. And we can correct that. You know, we can step in front of that and say, here's how to, you know, talk to a friend when you're having a dispute over a pencil or here's how to assert yourself when you're, you know, new in the class and you have a question or, you know, you always know the answer to the, the math problem on the board. Do you always want to be the one to raise your hand? You know, in some classes, it totally makes sense. Like, do it. It's fine. Other times, it's like, okay, maybe I need to be a little bit more sensitive to what other people are feeling here. Read the room. Teaching your kids how to read the room. To read how <laughs> Reading the classroom is a skill. And I just look forward to a time when there is a classroom, yeah, a real classroom, read. that they get to read. Absolutely. <laughs> more than anything in this world. Oh. Exactly. Well, this is just one more complication in our school year, in our abnormal school year, but we're, we're all going to get through it. We're so thankful to the letter writer for this question and Emily for joining us here today and providing some advice. So thank you for joining us. You're totally welcome. I'm glad to know we're all going to get through this school year. I think you're more confident than I am. <laughs> I mean, time moves forward no matter what. So, you know, the only constant yeah. is that. So the, the, the time will tick away. <laughs> What are we left with? I don't know. But I am confident that the time will continue to move forward. (laughs) You're right about that. We may be shredded and left on the floor. That's right. The clock will tick. The clock will tick. tick. Oh, goodness. Well, that's our show. If you have questions, email us at slate.com or post it to the Slate Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. We'll see you back here in the podcast feed on Thursday. And don't forget to join us next Tuesday for another special bonus episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Jamila Lemieux, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp.